Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Ontario's election campaign has begun. What's going to happen on June 2nd? A disability advocate slams Doug Ford in the Ontario PCs. Have you been able to save any money during the COVID-19 pandemic? We'll tell you about a new affordable housing initiative here in Hamilton. And may the 4th be with you. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Folks, June 2nd, we'll have a choice. And we're going to make sure this province continues to prosper. Ontario's election campaign officially beginning today. Voting day is June the 2nd. Rick Samprin with you. This is Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Colin DeMello is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief with Global News and joins us now on GMH. Good morning, Colin. How are you? Good morning and happy day one of the election campaign. Yeah, I guess it's here we go. Is this like Christmas morning for you? Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, for a lot of political journalists, this is a very exciting time for all of us because, you know, we not only get to see what the candidates are doing, but in some way we are instrumental in shaping what that campaign looks like, right? We're the ones who will bring up issues, take the issues to the individual leaders, really try to clarify what their positions are, what their campaign promises are, how much they cost. So, you know, for us, this is uh, not only a very exciting time, but it's also an important time because we are here to help you, guide you, the, the voter at home, uh, through this election campaign and navigate all of these thorny issues. In our Twitter poll question of the day today at AM900CHML, we're asking our listeners to chime in on this question. Which political party leader has the most to prove? Right now, most people going with Stephen Del Duca. And, and that's really what every election is about, that, that leader or that party trying to prove that they can get the job done, right? Yeah, and with Stephen Del Duca, it really is an uphill battle, right? Um, he got elected as a leader of the Ontario Liberals uh, in March of 2020. <laughs> and just about one or two weeks later, Ontario went into a lockdown. And and at that time, it was really difficult for critics or critical voices uh, to punch through and really criticize the government. Uh, a, lot of t- a lot of times, a lot of the, the focus was on, you know, uniting together, banding together and doing the right thing to defeat COVID-19. And so he really wasn't able to introduce himself to the public and really make a name for himself. So largely to a, a wide swath of the Ontario voter, um, Stephen Del Duca is a relative unknown. He is introducing himself. He has released a series of five commercials in which he talks about himself. He talks about the death of his brother in 2018 and how it impacted him. He talks about his family and how, you know, he drops his daughters to school every morning. Uh, he's really trying to say to everybody, this is who I am as a person. And during this campaign, they're also going to try to learn who he is as a politician. Uh, polls at this point suggest that Ford's progressive conservatives are poised to win on June the 2nd. There is a debate on whether it's going to be a majority or a minority. And stranger things have happened, although I heard a stat that no new majority government in Ontario has lost an election in like 100 years or something like that. Uh, Ontario voters seem to stick with the status quo more often than not. Well, and especially now during the pandemic, we've seen all but one government has fallen. Um, just one government has fallen. Every single government has been reelected. And that's really because, you know, they were seen as a fairly steady hand during the pandemic. Voters didn't necessarily want to uh, try something new in the midst of a crisis. I mean, we're, we're kind of at the tail end, hopefully, of the pandemic right now. So people might be starting to think about other things. Uh, but going into this election campaign, Doug Ford and his progressive conservatives are, are sitting in the best position possible. They have about 39 percent support. And out of uh, 
you know, uh, people who were surveyed for a new Ipsos read poll for Global News, four out of 10 voters said that they wanted Doug Ford to be reelected. And that's that's pretty high in our uh, political system. So four out of 10, you know, 40 percent, that could easily net him another majority government. So he's sitting pretty in the polls right now. The NDP and the Liberals, they are having a bit of difficulty because the NDP is in third place with about 25 percent support. The Liberals have surged into second place, but they're at 26 percent support. So it seems like progressive voters left of center have yet to decide who the main challenger to Doug Ford will really be. Is it the Liberals or is it the NDP? And if they continue that kind of indecision right up until Election Day, it means that in a lot of writings, Doug Ford's progressive conservatives can go right up the middle because the left vote is split and actually end up winning more seats than they did during the last election campaign. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. We're talking about the provincial election campaign getting underway today. Uh, you mentioned Stephen Del Duca, and this is his, really his first crack at the premier seat. Andrea Horvath, on the other hand, has been here a few times before. What level of pressure do you think that she's dealing with right now? Well, this is a do-or-die situation for uh, Miss Horvath, right? This is like Game 7, um, you know, in the finals. She has no other option here, provincially speaking. Once, uh, if she wins this election, she becomes premier. If she loses the election, you know, unfortunately, the, the writing seems to be on the wall. This will be her final election as the leader of the Ontario NDP. Now, over her time as leader, the support for the NDP has definitely slowly grown, um, last election was definitely their best showing, 40 seats as a result of, uh, you know, the liberal collapse in Ontario. They're coming into this election incredibly strong. They feel like they're, um, you know, best positioned to actually topple Ford or form government for the first time since Bob Ray. They have raised an enormous amount of money. They're willing to spend between 8 to $12 million dollars. They have thousands of volunteers at their beck and call. And this time, they're not just focusing on the campaign itself and reaching out to voters, but actually on Election Day, taking those voters to the polls and converting all of that support that they've seen into an actual ballot box victory. So that's where they're kind of focusing their campaign. They seem to have learned their mistakes from 2018. And now they're looking to kind of capitalize on those. Um, and, and see if they can really convert all of the support that they've had over the last four years uh, into an actual electoral win for the first time in you know more than 20 years. We've got one more minute with Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. In the 2018 election, electricity rates, electricity prices was a huge campaign issue. There isn't really a dominant issue in this campaign, you know, apart from the pandemic, healthcare spending, making life more affordable, I guess would be the top three. Does that help Doug Ford? I, I mean, Doug Ford certainly has, according to this Ipsos poll, it seems like, uh, you know, those those vehicle registration fee rebates um, and other small affordability measures uh, seem to have maybe calmed down a little bit of that conversation now that people have been getting their checks back. But, you know, you're right. I mean, we haven't really been seeing this galvanizing issue that really has riled up voters this time around. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, talk to your family and ask them, you know, if they're angry about something in Ontario right now. And, and, and that anger doesn't really seem to be evident. It could eventually pop up during the election campaign, but it's very different from 2018. 2018, people were looking to get rid of somebody and they were looking to 
put somebody else in didn't matter if it was Andrea Horvath or Doug Ford. They just wanted something different. This time around, this isn't a change election. 60% of people are not going to vote for the progressive conservatives, but 40% of people seem like they are. And 40% in Ontario in our electoral system is enough to net you another majority. And that's where Ford looks like he's headed right now. It's going to be a lot of fun up to and including June the 2nd. Colin, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us and good luck on the campaign trail yourself. Thanks for having me. That's Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at Global News, and uh, he will join us uh, periodically throughout the campaign to talk about some of the big happenings that are happening on that campaign trail. Didn't really speak about the Greens, but Mike Schreiner is going to be joining us tomorrow on the show, so we'll have a a lot of green talk with uh, Mr. Schreiner tomorrow. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is a claim by our next guest that Doug Ford's PC party is Ontario's only major political party that has made no mention in the lead up to this election about helping address the concerns of millions of Ontarians with disabilities. Our guest is Dave Lepofsky. He's the chair of the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act Alliance and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dave, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. So what have you heard from the other party leaders that has put a smile on your face and, and not from Mr. Ford? Well, just to let people know, for the past 25 years, in every election, uh, commitments at the provincial level have been sought from the major parties through the coalition I serve. And uh, we, their commitments have always been made in letters to us. So last November 22nd, we wrote the major parties and listed in detail a series of commitments we need because we need to make Ontario accessible to over 2.6 million people with any kind of disability, whether they're blind like me, or they have, they use a wheelchair, they have mental health issues, a learning disability, autism, whatever. And we gave them a lot of lead time. Well, as of yesterday, we'd heard back from every major party with commitments, except Doug Ford. His party has refused to even answer us. And just so people know, we're nonpartisan. Our aim is to get strong commitments from all the parties. But this is the first time in two decades that the Conservative Party, well, since 2003, that the Conservative Party has not even answered our inquiry. And believe me, we followed up to, to press for a response. We think voters with disabilities who number... Over a million people in this province deserve better. So what's going on? Are, are, uh, do you feel that they're just ignoring you? Well, that, that's certainly how it feels. You know, we, we have reached out, uh, offered to explain what we're looking for, offered to discuss it, whatever. Uh, we don't even get a response. We've, uh, and we've tried multiple times. And they know who we are. They, you know, we've dealt with them at various levels over their term in office. Uh, this just seems to be a, a high-handed disregard of the needs of people with disabilities. And if you think about it, everybody uh, listening to us this morning either has a disability now or will get one as they get older. So how can any political party so flagrantly disregard the the basic needs of uh, people with disabilities, especially when in the last provincial election, when Doug Ford wrote us 
uh, he said that our issues would be uh, close to their hearts. Hmm. Well, this couldn't be any further from their hearts, not even answering us. That's mind-boggling. We've got about 40 seconds left here, David. What is at the top of the list that you want to see? We need a strong provincial plan to make this province uh, accessible to people with disabilities. We've set out details of what it needs. The Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, which all parties supported and we campaigned for back in 2005, required this province to become accessible to us by 2025. And the next government will be in power when that date arrives. And at present, we're not on schedule uh, to meet that deadline at all. So we need a government that's prepared to take it seriously. We'd like to work with all the parties, including the Tories, so that whoever wins, uh, we can succeed. Well, let's hope they uh, come back with some uh, commitments to those commitments and uh, we'll get to a better place here in this province. Dave, appreciate the time. Voters, voters press your candidates. Uh, ask them what commitments they're prepared to make. Absolutely. Appreciate the time, David. Thank you. That's Dave Lepofsky. He's the chair of the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act Alliance. Yep, press your MPPs, those who are going um, up for election, to say, hey, what are you doing for people with disabilities? You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We are continuing our week-long series focusing on the future of work. We've talked about rules and restrictions of heading back into the workplace. Yesterday, we targeted the labor shortage, and we're certainly seeing that in Hamilton. We'll also focus on health care and etiquette in the days to come. Today's focus is on lifestyle. And has the pandemic created some cost savings for you, or has it really packed a punch on your wallet? Don Fox is an executive financial consultant with IG Private Wealth Management and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Rick. How are you doing? I'm good. We've seen many people lose their jobs, um, change jobs, go back to school, or undergo some kind of retraining over the last couple of years. And all of that has had a massive financial impact one way or another. What have you seen over the last couple of years? Well, right off the get-go, you know, there's a bit of a panic mode. So everybody kind of gets into a hoarding mode. And uh, so we have a, prior to the pandemic, we had a savings rate of about 3.8%. Well, that jumped right to 28% in the second quarter of 2020. That was about the same time everybody was hoarding toilet paper, if you remember that, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so... That's kind of the norm is when there's uncertainty, people say, okay, we're not spending any money. Plus, at that time, there's a lockdown, so people couldn't spend money. And so, uh, yeah, everybody was kind of just bunkered down and and they weren't spending any money. And, and the bank accounts are building up. And there was some job losses at the time. So those, uh, you know, particularly in the hospitality industry. and But others uh, were actually, you know, still working fine. Now you're going fast forward and things have changed. Uh, employment is uh, actually an all-time high, or right near it anyway. And so, and travel starting to open up. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, you went from toilet paper hoarding to, you know, lumber prices went through the roof because people were doing a lot of renovations to puzzles were a big demand and camping. And then what we've heard a lot lately, and particularly in the last six months, is the price of homes going up. So you can see that, you know, money got shifted from, you know, a lot of fun items to, uh, you know, to hoarding things to then investing in homes and also uh you know not to mention a lot of other investments such as just um, you know tfsa's rsps that type of thing yeah let's talk about investing in ourselves we've got a, a couple of minutes here how many people have adjusted their financial plan or even their retirement savings during the pandemic has it been hectic or, or rather silent 
it's been hectic. It's been very busy. Uh, our, the industry in general, you know, you hear about the real estate side of it a lot because it's it's more in your face. But in our industry, people really took this time to sit down and say, okay, you know what? Um, let's kind of relook at the financial plan. Um, some decided they're going to work longer. Some decided, okay, we let's retire earlier. But it really gave a chance to reflect on where they are now and, uh, you know, where they're going to be going. So, I couldn't have been much busier. I think our, our industry in general was up about 50% in terms of just activity. So, yes, it was quite busy in our industry. My guess is most recent retirees didn't plan for a pandemic to hit during their final <laughs> year of work. Like, what a blow that is. Yes, nobody really plans for those types of things. But as it turned out, it was a, in terms of the stock market, it was a quick downturn. It went down about 33%, 34 days as, as far as the U.S. stock market. But it had fully recovered by September. So it turned to be a, a blip, but it was a wake-up call. So people really said, okay, um, let's get ready. And plus they had a lot of time on their hands. They weren't traveling. So it was a time to like uh, call it a spring cleanup, if you will, on the financial planning side. Don Fox is our guest. Uh, he's an executive financial consultant with IG Private Wealth Management as we focus on the future of work here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. For our listeners who have managed to save a little bit of money at the end of the, each month during the pandemic, they might and maybe have already done so, splurged all of it. <laughs> are, are they thinking about the long game? Are they thinking about retirement or is it just, you know, a month to month, year to year type of thing? Uh, yeah, there's two camps there. There's the, the people that are generally looking after their affairs quite well. They're always thinking of the future. And then there's the ones living, you know, day by day, month by month. And those are the ones that, you know, need to start thinking more of the future because, you know, you take a look right now, uh, you know, interest rates dropped tremendously before the pandemic, the prime lending rate that you could get the best rate at the banks was about, was 3.45. It dropped to 2.45 within a month after the pandemic. And you're seeing it starting to edge up now. So the five-year mortgage, for those owning houses uh, or getting mortgages recently in the last year, you're getting under 2% five-year mortgages just six months ago. Now, they're over 4%. So if you're on a variable rate mortgage, it, they're going up every time the interest rates are rising. So for those that put some money aside, I would definitely say let's uh, put some money against any high interest debt pay down things that are going to help cash flow or maybe even have an emergency fund because your interest rate on your mortgage as it goes up on a variable mortgage you got to have to, you have to come up with more money every month and so you may have to ride out this next who knows it might be a year we're not sure most people think it's going to kind of level off you know, maybe go up and then level off uh, within this year here good tips from don fox executive financial consultant at ig private wealth management don thanks for the time today and uh, we'll chat with you down the road anytime rick you have a great day you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml today we're focusing on how the pandemic has changed our spending habits our lifestyle and as we know, you know the government implemented covid lockdowns very early on in the pandemic we all remember march 2020 like it was yesterday and we all remember that many people, and still to this day, have been working from home. And some of them, many of them, my guess would be, is that they have saved money while doing so. Think about it. Not having to commute from, let's say, Hamilton to Toronto. Well, that was the case for our next guest. Kevin Cowdice is a former Hamilton resident who saved, I'm guessing, a lot of money by not commuting from Steeltown to the Big Smoke. Kevin, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Tell us about your story. Yeah, so um, you know, I I was working uh, in downtown Toronto, but living in Hamilton. So 
Um, when I was going to work, you know, three to four days a week in office, I had to, you know, travel by the train. I would drive to Aldershot, go from the Hamilton Mountain, jump on that hour-long train to downtown Toronto, and then walk to work, right? So, you know, my typical travel into the office was an hour and a half, hour 45 minutes each direction every day, right? So you're talking three and a half hours. Uh, you know, you're getting up quite early to get to that train station, make sure you get a parking spot. I was probably spending north of $20, $22 a day just on the train alone, plus your gas. And then you got to talk about the stuff you spend while at work, right? Your lunches, your coffees, um, even just your upkeep that you have to you have to do while you're going to work, right? So all those expenses add up over time. I can imagine that when the shock of the pandemic back in March and April of 2020, you know, wore off, you're, you're staring at your new reality of working from home. And my guess is the realization is that, hey, this virtual work thing is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the company that I worked for, um, we were already in a hybrid system before the pandemic started. So we already had our technology set up. We could work from home if we wanted to. Um, there were just the perks of going to the office and seeing your colleagues, right? So the transition, it was instantaneous. One day we're in the office quite a, quite a bit. The next day we're working strictly from home, right? So the transition was great. But yeah, I could I could really see a lot of those benefits working from home for the long term as soon as the pandemic hit. We've also seen gas prices go through the roof. Can you imagine your get just your gas bill now? Yeah, I mean I, I, I don't can't think back of, you know, in March of twenty twenty with the gas prices, but you know, it's astronomically higher now with inflation and whatnot. So I can imagine, you know, the fifty to seventy five dollars I was spending to go to work in gas alone has probably doubled in that time frame. Right? So just the ability to, you know, live at home and, and not put that wear and tear in my car and having to fill up the gas tank so often is, is really helping the bottom line. We're continuing our future work series here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, speaking with Kevin Cowdice, a former Hamilton resident who saved uh, some money by not commuting from Hamilton to Toronto. Uh, did you get to splurge the money? Did you save it? What did you do with these extra savings? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, once you start saving that much money, you really have to, have to put a plan in place, right? So I, I estimated that over the last two years, I've probably saved $15,000 not traveling into the office, spending money at the office. So I really put a plan in place around what are we going to do with that money? So, you know, I, I sped up a lot of my savings vehicles. I made sure I was directing a lot of my income towards, you know, an emergency fund or into my RSPs, TFSAs, all those kind of uh, things. And, and it, it I've actually built a really strong budget and sure we continue to uh, put a lot of money into savings. And I think that's really going to help me and my partner down the road. Was there any temptation to splurge on something cool? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what one thing I was able to do is um, I was able to uh, buy an engagement ring faster than I was anticipating, which was great. Um, you know, I paid off my student loans a lot quicker. I, um, I was able to move out into the Niagara region and, so paying rent is a little bit more affordable than in Hamilton. So we're able to uh, you know, put a little bit of some of those things towards uh, things that I wanted to accomplish over the last couple of years. Congrats on the engagement, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Do you think you'll return to the physical workplace full time? Yeah. So the way that our company works, looks at it is it's, it's work where you work best. So the idea being that if you're doing a lot of work that's, you know, do on your own, on the computer, you don't need in the office, then work from where you work best. So for me, that's more than likely going to be at my home office. But there'll be times where I want to go into the office to see my colleagues, you know, brainstorming sessions, um, socials, that kind of stuff. And, and that's what they talk about seeing the office as a magnet. So I'll, I'll more than likely go in the office occasionally, but I, I do think moving forward, majority of the time spent working will be in the Great story. $15,000 in savings is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, congrats on that, Kevin. Great job and uh, good luck going forward. 
Thanks so much, Rick. Appreciate it. That is Kevin Cowdice, a former Hamilton resident now lives in Niagara who saved some money, $15,000 by not commuting from Hamilton to Toronto, put a plan in place. Good for him. That is awesome. Great to hear. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Habitat for Humanity Hamilton is partnering with City Housing Hamilton on a pilot project to rehabilitate rental units in this city and change them into affordable units under City Housing's management. It's a pretty cool story and it's a great initiative and a win-win. We'll tell you why with our next guest. Sean Ferris is the Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity Humanity Hamilton. Sean, good morning. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm good. How did this partnership all come about? We've been in talks with uh, various partners uh, through Hamilton is Home and other initiatives, and we connected with uh, Tom Hunter, the CEO of City Housing, and developed this opportunity for a short-term win for both of our organizations. So this project or this pilot project is looking at three housing units, correct? Correct. We've finished one. We're working on the next two. And we'll be talking about doing more. So by partnering with uh, these two organizations coming together on this partnership, the renovations are being made, obviously, to make these places more livable, uh, more accessible, obviously making it uh, more affordable. But this is a win-win because students are involved as well. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So at Habitat for Humanity Hamilton, obviously, we, uh, we work with volunteers to deliver affordable housing. But we've also had a long-term partnership with our school boards where high schools can, uh, students can come out to our sites as living classrooms so they can get their hands-on tools and really learn about the, uh, the trades. And that's through the Ontario Youth uh, Apprenticeship Program, OYAP. So uh, this is a great opportunity with city housing. Instead of having the students do, you know, busy work, you know, building picnic tables and so on in between our builds to actually continue to deliver affordable housing, since uh, City Housing Hamilton has these opportunities to refurbish homes and put families back into them. What kind of response have you seen from the students? Uh, Great. You know, as much as they love getting their hands dirty and learning uh, new things, the added value of helping the community and providing affordable home ownership is really uh, a benefit to them, and they really appreciate it and are motivated by it. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Sean Ferris, Executive Director, Habitat for Humanity. Uh, That organization, along with City Housing Hamilton, launching a pilot project to um, create some affordable units in this city. Um, If this sounds interesting to a parent, or even a student who's listening right now, is there room for more and how can they join? Absolutely. You can check out our website at habitathamilton.ca and uh, sign up to volunteer at uh, one of these opportunities or many more that we're having on the go. We're, we have seven homes that are in the planning process, so we'll be back out on Habitat sites as well later this year. So uh, look us up, sign up, and come on out and volunteer. I know this is a pilot project. Do you think that this could become permanent? Absolutely. We're always looking for ways to engage with the uh, with partners locally to deliver affordable housing opportunities. And, you know, it takes a long time to get through the planning process to, to build homes in our traditional model. So having these opportunities to do repairs where in a matter of weeks we can actually deliver on an affordable uh, housing opportunity with a partner is really a fantastic bridge in between, you know, our traditional home building program. So I'd like this to continue as long as there are empty houses that, uh, you know, we can repair and move families into. Where are these homes located and what kind of condition are they in before you get your hands on them? 
These particular homes are uh, kind of in the, the Barton uh, area near um, the Red Hill. And uh, the condition is, is not overly bad. You know, obviously with students, we don't have them working on things like uh, regulated trades. So there are, uh, it's drywall, it's trim, it's painting, uh, general uh, cleaning and repair of cabinetry and things of that nature. Um, there's a variety of things that every homeowner would uh, know happens in the course of living in a home. And of course, you know, having students come in and get their hands dirty and understand what it takes to uh, repair the homes uh, is a, a great opportunity for them and, and a way to, to do it affordably for City Housing Hamilton. Yeah, this is a big win all around. Sean, thanks for your time. Good luck with this project moving forward and uh, hopefully more to come in this regard. Absolutely. Thanks, Rick. That's Sean Ferris, Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity. They're partnering with City Housing Hamilton on this cool pilot project to rehabilitate rental units in this city, make them affordable units, and uh, have students work on these homes to make them um, safer and more affordable and more livable. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It is Star Wars Day. Yes, may the 4th be with you. It is a day that many in the pop culture world, fans of the Star Wars uh, franchise, are celebrating and uh, celebrating with glee today. Because what a wonderful, wonderful world that uh, George Lucas created many, many moons ago, and it is still going strong, maybe, arguably, as strong as ever. Edward Healy is a special projects officer with the Canadian garrison of the 501st. I'm Hopefully I'm saying that right. Edward, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. What is the Canadian garrison of the 501st Legion? Well, we're uh, a bunch of nerds and geeks that uh, enjoy dressing up in Star Wars costumes. <laughs> I love your Twitter uh, profile, the world's largest Star Wars costume group, Bad Guys Doing Good. It sounds like you guys have a lot of fun. Uh, we do. We uh, we really enjoy making these costumes. Uh, they are 100% uh, created on our own, and uh, we, we love going out in public and uh, uh, showing them off. So is it all just stormtroopers, or are you dressing up as all the different characters in the Star Wars world? Oh no, we're uh, we're right across the board. Um, we uh, do uh, Mandalorians, we do um, uh, Wookies, we do <laughs> everything. Wow! How did this all start? Um, it started back in 1997 with a gentleman named Alan Johnson, who uh, he and his friends decided to uh, dress up for the uh, opening of uh, a Star Wars movie. And uh, that just went off from there. They decided that uh, they could uh, um, do a lot of good uh, for charities while uh, dressing up in these costumes. Well, that's kind of cool. Is, is that charity angle still a big factor of what you guys do? It is. Um, we, we do uh, events uh, publicly, but we ask that if you want us to appear, you have to make a donation to uh, a charity. We generally uh, will accept any uh, charity, but uh, we do sort of move people towards Make-A-Wish Canada, here in, in Canada, that is. Um, and um, we, you know, ask that you make a small donation and then we'll uh, get some of our friends together and come show up at your event. Edward Healy is our guest, a special projects officer for the Canadian garrison of the 501st Legion and a, a big time Star Wars fan, that is for sure. How many people are in the garrison? 
<laughs> we got a lot. Uh, we're currently uh, over 14,000 people Wow! who have 32,000 costumes. So that's like on an average one and a half per person almost. The uh, Legion is about uh, 68 countries large. Uh, we're, so we're spread across the world and we're, <laughs> we're just having a lot of fun with it. I'd say, wow, 14,000 people. So what yeah. costumes do you have? I have three. Um, I have a, a Tuscan Raider, the uh, the Sand People that uh, attack Luke in the original movie. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a Sand Trooper. Uh, you can see a theme here, uh, which is uh, one of the dirty dirty stormtroopers. And I have a bridge officer, which is uh, you know the the uniform you see the kind of, the guy who gets choked out by Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> What when, what goes behind making a uniform? Obviously, uh, you know, being super fans, you want to get it extremely right. So are you watching the movies, sewing costumes together? How does it work? Well, it, first of all, you have to decide on what you want to be, um, which is almost a, like a you know really hard decision point for some people. But, uh, you know, when you're watching the movie and uh, for me, it was uh, the first time I saw the Sand Trooper himself was like, that's amazing. So I started researching on, on how to uh, build this costume. And back then, I, I joined the group about uh, 10 years ago. Uh, back then, uh, 3D printing was coming into, uh, coming into play. And um, now it's, it's just uh, really prevalent that you can you know, just print your costumes. But we, the 501st, uh, have extremely high standards about what your costume should look like. It has to be screen accurate. So, you know, we're breaking out the DVDs, we're, you know, going frame by frame, you know, picking out little details and we're sharing it with everybody in the, in the group because uh, we have this standard that says uh, we have to be extremely accurate. Has anyone... In, in doing so, Disney has recognized us as a, a premier fan group. Yeah. Has anyone gone like really to the extreme and, and done a, an extremely difficult costume? Uh, I would say the most difficult costume would be Boba Fett <laughs> because <laughs> there's uh, the parts, uh, some of the parts you, you can buy, some of the parts you build, and some of the parts you have to make. Wow. And uh, Boba Fett uh, is a real mishmash of, of all these things. And, you know, it, it, it depends on, you know, the, the uh, detail of, the, of the, uh, the project as well. So, um, you know, it, it, if you can do a Stormtrooper, generally you can just make them all in one kit. But, uh, you know, things that are mishmashed together, which is the Star Wars universe, you reuse, recycle, it's harder to do. Absolutely. Today is Star Wars Day. we got a couple more minutes with uh, Edward Healy, Special Project Officer with the uh, Canadian Garrison of the 501st Legion, as they celebrate uh, a day today with uh, fellow Star Wars fans. What's your day job? <laughs> My day job? I'm a, <laughs> uh, I, I work for marketing in a, in a travel agency. And uh, they're pretty sick of me today. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you go to work in uniform, or are you are you meeting virtually in uniform today? Uh, I'm I, I have my uh, my five hundred first shirt on today. I have a couple of things. To, I've taken the day off, actually, if you can believe it. Uh, I have a this this morning. I have a, a virtual troop at Sick Kids Hospital, where I'm going to put on my Sand Trooper outfit and uh, meet kids uh, over Zoom call. And then later on tonight, we have a bit of a fundraiser for Make-A-Wish at uh, a restaurant here in town. That's pretty cool. And you mentioned the kids, too. And this is, you know, one of the, the, the big and, and special things about this day is just moving the conversation forward and getting people, kids, excited about the, the franchise. 
Uh, yeah, it's almost like a brainwash day. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, 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 a lot of the a lot of the the kids are being taught from their parents, and their parents grew up with you know if they're old enough, they they saw the original movie in the theaters, or if they're uh, you know not so old, they they went and saw the prequel movies uh, back in the you know the nineties. So uh, it, it's like handing down the baton of, of uh, you know good memories to kids. Absolutely. Edward, appreciate your time today. Enjoy the day. Have a lot of fun. And uh, thanks for giving back to the community as well. May the force be with you. And you, Edward Healy, Special Projects Officer for the Canadian Garrison of the 501st Legion as they celebrate Star Wars Day today, having a lot of fun and raising money for a good cause as well. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.